The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 210, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Tenure Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K-Ben. Happy Saturday, man. How you doing? Oh, man. Uh, everything is delicious, Mike. Thanks for asking. Yeah. The Eagles are in disarray. <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying it. Everything is chaos. And uh, I'm already getting tired of the uh, the arguments on the Twitter timelines regarding who deserves credit for what, what was unlucky, what was luck, and who was responsible for the Super Bowl. Because I feel like uh, nobody is getting any kind of credit for 2017 anymore. It's all revisionist history. But here we are trying to make sense of it all. And I mean, we might as well kind of dive into that that conversation right now we are going to be doing the Seahawks preview making our predictions so on and so forth talking about the reconfigurations again along the Eagles offensive line but first uh, there are reports out there and there's been chatter around this September talking about Doug Peterson and how he would feel if he were fired. Now, now this comes from Paul Dumowich, who was talking with Joe Banner and here's the quote from from the article uh, Banner says if he is fired and I doubt he is. Mm-hmm. Reaching the point where he's kind of had it, he's probably just frustrated with internal dynamics and maybe some things that he had to do that didn't work out or things that he would like to do and isn't being allowed to do. That's when it becomes a little hopeless as a head coach, and it makes you feel like you can't overcome it, end quote. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what's going on in the power structure with the Eagles, and I'm not saying misunderstanding because it's being presented wrong. I'm saying misunderstanding because we have no idea what decisions he's making. For instance, the Jalen Hurts pick, who is that on? Also, I think we know some of the decisions surrounding Doug Mike Rowe, saying that Mike Rowe would stay. And then he's fired, saying that Jason Peters, and we'll get into this later, would be the left tackle a couple of days ago. And then next thing you know, he's being kicked into right guard, which is a total reversal of how we thought that was going to go. Anyway, this is stemming back from a, a September report from Tony Pauline saying, quote, there are some rumblings from people inside the league who I spoke with earlier this week who feel that Doug Peterson may have reached his limit. Doug Peterson may be a little bit stressed out. Basically, it's not going to get any better for Doug Peterson, mm-hmm. end quote. This whole picture is is very muddy with Doug. Does he want to be there? Is he burnt out? 
Uh, is it all Frank Reich's uh, doing <laughs> for 2017 and so on? Like so many questions, so many debates. Uh, getting a little tired of it, to be honest with you. I have no idea what's in the man's heart, but we are going to wildly speculate yeah, about yeah, it, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, 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 okay. Okay. This is all right. I think you're, you're, you first go back to like 2013, right? And it's Banner in Cleveland and it's Lurie and Roseman in Philly and they're going after Chip Kelly. You know, there's all the, the, the quotes that are like, oh, Roseman sucks. He's out of his depth. He's got no idea what he's doing. And then Jeffrey Lurie's <laughs> like, those came from Cleveland. And it's like, whoa! And then Joe Banner <laughs> was like, now that was me. And there's that whole nonsense. And like, let's not like, you know, Banner was in with Roseman and Laurie. He brought Roseman up. Roseman eventually replaced him and Laurie fired him. So let's not act like, you know, ba- Joe Banner has been like really like, I think like an a interesting and vo- at times valuable resource in the media yeah. for Eagles media for the last couple of years. Let's not act like he's like coming into this from an objective lens. I let's correct, we start correct. with that. Number one. Number exactly. two, Banner has said recently, like it, like November, it's currently November, October, that he doesn't think that they're going to make wholesale changes, right? Like he doesn't think it's going to get like blown up. He also says he doesn't think Doug Peterson's going to get fired. Right. So if I'm doing math here, it's not going to be everybody gets fired. It's not going to get be Peterson getting fired. To me, that indicates that I, if he thinks anybody's getting fired, it's Howie, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what I think it is. Right. By the way, and that, that's the thing is when you say, "Listen, you know, uh, I want to make sure I get the quote right." He's probably just frustrated with internal dynamics. When you're talking about the head coach. Internal dynamics, there's about two, maybe three people who are above the head coach. Dis- it goes right, exactly. Up, right. Maybe yeah. some things he had to do that didn't work out or things he would like to do that he isn't being allowed to do. That's not like, you know, I'm frustrated with my wide receiver coach. Like, you're right. in charge of your wide receiver coach, my dude. <laughs> you know, this is, it, when you say frustrated with internal dynamics, that's Laurie, that's Roseman. And then, by extension... You know, we know that there's been the reports that, like, Wentz has more power in the building than Peterson does. There's been the reports that, like, you know, Jason Peters can do no wrong because he's best friends with Jeff Lurie. By extension, then, those players are quasi above Peterson. That's kind of the internal dynamics that you end up talking about. And so... Yeah, also, like, how the draft works, who makes those decisions, which we don't know, but please continue. Right, I mean, there was the whole report that was like, oh, the scouting staff wanted Justin Jefferson and the coaching (laughs) staff wanted Jalen Rager. And it's like, but, like, so that report right there, Mm. Obviously, Eagles fans like really locked in on Justin Jefferson over the past draft cycle. And Jefferson's playing great in Minnesota. But that happens in every team with every pick at every <laughs> position in every draft. Explain why that is. Right. Because if you're anonymous scout and I'm coming to you and I'm saying, hey, this looked pretty messed up. Whose fault is it? Are you going to say you? Right. Number one, are you going to say you? No. Number two, even <laughs> if it's like clear that it was your guy, you just blame the coaching staff. But it, like like – <laughs> there, there. I've said this before. There is a a need. There is an inherent tension. There must be struggle between your front office and your coaching staff because your front yes. office should be oriented on on building a team that for the future will be successful, and your coaching staff should be oriented on building a team that right now will be successful. There is no coaching staff in the league that wants rookies, right? Occasionally there is when you get a coaching staff on board with the tank. But that's right. the whole idea is that we really can't be good now, so we're going to try really hard to be good later. And then the the flip side of that coin, arguably, is the last few seasons of the Eagles. I don't know what the opposite of a tank would be, but you could argue that Roseman 
neglected his responsibility as the general manager to really try to build out for the future and be safe in the future by making a lot of cap-related moves, a lot of free agent signings, such as to maximize a current winning window, right? And that's yes. what Roseman has been preaching. That's the gospel he's been sharing for the last two, three years. It's been, I, you know, like, we we rookie quarterback, we maximize our window, da 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 Big piece about it, Bleeding Green that I wrote about last year, whatever. So, you want, like, it, it, in every draft room, in every franchise this year, there was a coach who was like, there was, you know, there was a coach who said like, I do not want, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I want Jeffrey Akuda. I don't want CJ Henderson. Akuda's ready to play now. And then there was a general manager who said, I think CJ Henderson's a better prospect long-term and I want him. And that's the, you, you have to have that fight. You had like, there's, there's yes. obviously you agree with that, but the, the, the two entities should be pulling in different ways. So there should be some difficulty there. If the head coach feels neutered, to the point at which he would not care if he were fired. He won a, a Super Bowl in a city in which he played football three years ago. Yeah. And yeah, if yeah. he would not care, that, that's where you know that somewhere your tension has failed you. Somewhere somebody is making decisions that they shouldn't be making. You have an imbalance. And when you look at the last eight years of Philadelphia football, ten years of Philadelphia football under Jeff Lurie, you had Andy Reid who they could not win a championship with a championship with he leaves is hired by Kansas city. He's won a championship there. Mike, I'm here to tell you, he's probably going to win another one or two. They got yeah. a pretty good quarterback mm. there in Kansas city. <laughs> you bring in chip. It goes horribly. You have a yeah. massive power struggle through 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. You resolve that by firing chip, by reinstating Rosen, by bringing in Peterson you're successful again for a year, not like you, not unlike you were the first year of Chip. And then guess where you are, Mike? Three years later, power struggle, baby. So you at some point, buck stops up top, and you, yeah. you ownership. The, your last three head coaching tenures have ended with really, really bad crashes and burns. And 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 they've been they've been really aggressive at different points in all three of those after experiencing right. some success. And they have the bottom has fallen out horrifically right. on all three. I do believe that that aggressive play bottoms out, make a change is preferable to being like the Jaguars who are like, <laughs> right. maybe Doug Marone's going to be good this year, guys. Like that's just agonizing, right? When your team is just like <laughs> accepting of mediocrity to decency for like five years. Like that to me, like, I would much rather this. At least it's interesting to talk about. <laughs> but you look at Lori and then you also have to look at Roseman in that as well because Roseman's been a significant executive in that entire 10-year uh, you know, split as well. And so I think this report increased the intensity of something we knew to be true, which is like the power balance in Philadelphia is not good. You know, obviously when you have Peterson saying, yeah, we're not going to fire grow. And then they fire grow. And he's like, yeah, Peterson's our left tackle. And then he's not like, it's very clear that he's not the one making these decisions. And that's bad. But to yeah. say that, like Peterson's half hoping, he didn't say half hoping, but Peterson's like half hoping he gets fired. So he can get the heck out of here really indicates to you the, the significance, the, the desperateness of this issue. And then you also, I mean, who had the report that like Doug Peterson doesn't know who's going to play like during the week, like Howie know. Roseman and company make that decision on Saturday and Doug's not a part of that decision. And then Doug is told who will play. So he's not even involved in that right. decision making. That, that, that's why like, the balance is like your front office is trying to win games later and your head coach is trying to win games now. Your coaching staff is trying to win games now. If you're not letting your coach choose who he plays on Sunday, he doesn't have a hand in, in trying to figure out who plays now or how to win games now, you know? Yeah, so I can see why uh, Doug would be a little disenfranchised with with what's going on. So I do think, like someone asked me, like, what's your best guess? You know, stay or go. And, and, and BGN Radio uh, 157 did this. But my answer at the time was Roseman goes, 
Peterson stays, Wentz stays. Are you, are you the same there? Yes. Best you think best odds like fifty one percent to forty nine percent or like I mean, where I th- are you with Doug? I, I think I, I think so, but I also think that like you know there's like let I think there's a good chance that like from this report like there's a chance Peterson's just like I'm out. Like it's not even like I'm not like you're not making this decision here, right? And I get that's like, true. And if he if he does like a it's Roseman or it's me thing to Lori, Roseman mm. survived a couple of those already, brother. Like even when Chip <laughs> Kelly did that, Roseman still stayed. You know, like it's. You think there's? Do you think there would be certain caveats if they if they did kind of want to get rid of Doug? Okay, number one, you have to hire an OC and you may have to give up play calling. Do you think Doug will be like, you want me to give up play calling? All right, man, see ya. Right, and maybe you know, I, I, like it's. It's tricky, and it's funny because the other the other side of this coin is is Eric Eager from PFF has been talking today about like you know uh, uh, for WAR for WAR for PFF, which is wins above replacement, which just kind of just encapsulates how well a a particular player is performing. Right, Wentz has one of the highest, the biggest spreads in terms of his his ceiling and his floor in in this metric for them. And, yeah. you know, he, he so he's just talking about like just within the scope of this metric and the scope of previous performances in this metric. What is the chance that Wentz bounces back to a significant level? And it's not great. You know, it shouldn't shock anybody that, like Wentz playing this badly. You know, I, I, I've said a lot in the previous podcast and I still believe, you know, I, I think Wentz is a better quarterback than this. I think if you took Wentz and just put him in a different team right now, he'd be playing better. You know, so I think that he gets better. But like the chances aren't great that he gets back to like, a really high level. Right. So the question Eric's asking is like, this coaching staff has been successful without Wentz. Yes, like the way they performed with with Nick Foles over a couple of years. This is this was believed to be a good coaching staff. How long are you comfortable saddling this coaching staff with Wentz? Mm. Are you willing to lose Doug for the sake of Wentz? It's like, well, they're they're kind of financially tied to Wentz. But anyway, so there's a whole opposite yeah. side. You can go about this conversation from the other direction and, and, and talk about what the quarterback means. But so yeah, I, I I don't I don't think we have a good vibe. I think that a lot of you know the next six games will matter. Like, you know, we we're we, we still have to entertain the reality in which Jalen Hurts plays the last two games, beats down beats Dallas, <laughs> beats Washington, and Eagles make the playoffs with a backup quarterback for the third year in four years. And if this happens, I mean just like what do we do with that? You know, so it's it's there's still I think a lot that's got to get sussed out so i i refuse to commit yet and you can make fun of me for that if you want to <laughs> yeah long answer some nuance there and no answer <laughs> there you go ben listen it's all about the discussion that's right no i i agree i mean it is complicated and it sucks that we can't really have that well should we keep doug instead of once but we can't because they've got that contract with once it's just not possible and you talked about the success without once it's not just the super bowl run guys 2018, they had a 14% chance to make the playoffs. And yeah, there was probably some issues with the coaching there too, but there's issues with the quarterback as well. Nick Foles comes in, and next thing you know, you win. What, what did they win? One, two, three, four, five, five out of the last six. They beat two playoff teams in the Los Angeles Rams and the Houston Texans, along with taking care of their divisional games. Mm-hmm. They beat the Bears in a wild card game. This was, by the way, the 31st most banged up team per adjusted games lost of football outsiders in the NFL. The most banged up team that I could find in the history of them doing that to win a playoff game. What does that come down to? Right. Who do you give credit for that? That's 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 the tricky thing is like it was so much easier to be giving credit to this team for X, Y, and Z when they were functional. Now they're not functional. You kind of are looking back and you're just like, did we know who was <laughs> good? Frank Reich wasn't on the staff then. 
right? right? He didn't call the plays in 2017, but everybody wants to give him credit because it, it always feels like everybody else in the organization exists to take blame off of the quarterback, at right. least from the fan base's perspective, right? Because they're so invested in his success. And I get it. You want you, you want the guy to be good, but like at some point you got to step back and look and say, hey, there was a lot of other things going on, man, without him. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like your mentions are the are, you know, diametric to mine, where my mentions are just like everything I post, it's like, why are you not talking about what Wednesday here? And it's like because <laughs> I am just like I firstly I'm exhausted. And right. secondly, I'm interested in the other players as well. All right. So let's get into this offensive line stuff before we get into the preview here, since we went a little bit long on that. So the the, the news obviously that we alluded to already, the Eagles, uh, since we last spoke, Jason Peters is kicking in the right guard. Jordan Mailata will get the start at left tackle. Lane Johnson is shutting it down for the season due to his ankle injury, says it's essentially collapsed on him. I detailed that part of it on the most recent a quick jam. Uh, we know that he's been dealing with that for a while. But with him out and Jack Driscoll nursing a knee injury, that means that Mike Pryor, Matt Pryor, uh, likely gets the start at right tackle. I think Jeff McClain just tweeted out that that, in fact, is the lineup. So let's go from left to right. Jordan Mailata, Isaac Ciamalu. Jason Kelsey, who was also dealing with an elbow injury from the last game, then Jason Peters and Matt Pryor. That might be your combination. That's the most updated info I have as we record this. Ben, that's a lot to process, but we were both on the side of starting my Lotta at left tackle a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. We said, okay, one game is fine past that. Now we're getting upset. It's been past that, but now they try to correct that. And then we also get to see what life is like without Lane Johnson, who was only giving up a pressure on 2.5% of his snaps this year, despite being incredibly banged up. The best rate by far of any of the Eagles tackles. Uh, so those two book bookends, it's a real question mark. It will be the 10th different combination for the Eagles on their offensive line through 11 games this season. Hell ben, how, how does that impact this game? What, what, do, what, what do you think it means long-term? What is it looking like to you? Do you right. think this is better than the previous configurable? Well, obviously, lanes out, so I can't even say that. But let's say let's start with the left side of the line. Yes. This is better, right? Yes, right. So, Mylotta, if he is as bad as Peters was, A, it would just be like more okay because he's his 12th round pick from 2018, you know, Correct. rugby, uh, you know, total neophyte to the position. It would also be a surprise relative to how he played early in the season, which was objectively better than how Peters plays, which, mm-hmm. you know, was kind of why we were all hoping that Jordan Mailata would start at left tackle over Jason Peters earlier this year. And, let, and let's qualify that. We thought he was playing better. I thought it was by a small margin. Did you think it was by a small margin? Yeah, or you no. thought it was bigger? I didn't. I, I, so Peters' worst game was last week. So yes, it, it, it makes far. sense that if there was a bar uh, that, that Pryor had previously been over, or not Pryor, excuse me, Peters had previously been over that he then went behind, that he then went yeah. under, that, that it happened in this in this past game. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's also mm-hmm. worth noting, like, my Lotta, you know, isn't, he isn't great. He's not, not, there's not like, you know, he gets beat up by really good players. Like the Pittsburgh game was terrible. But like, it, again, like, it's more forgivable. It's actively okay. Right. With that said, Yes, I think Mylotta is giving you a little bit more. And at the very least, if like you're just more willing to help Mylotta than you're willing to help Peters, then that's like good because both def- need help. And so if you're yes. just more doing then that's great. Now, what matters for the left side of the line is is your long term, right? Number one, if Jordan Mylotta is at all functional as a starting left tackle, if you if you believe the if Mylotta plays well enough that you can believe that he and Dillard going into next season will at least give you one starting caliber tackle. Mm-hmm. that's huge for your top 10 draft pick. 
Yeah. Because now you're and also your your money your 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 book because you don't need to go and acquire a left tackle get get a big level you get a veteran guy whatever you get a middle round draft pick whatever you don't need that mm. top ten pick to be spent on a left tackle and it's also not a good draft to be in that situation anyway. Yeah. So that, that long term is where that matters on the, on the left hand side of the line. Isaac Samalu hopefully being healthy, being back, playing as average as Isaac Samalu usually plays is fine. The big question for him is if he's going to be the center when Kelsey retires, which I imagine Kelsey's going to do after this year. Uh, but they're not going to get that answer at left guard. You know, they need to know more about him. Firstly, snapping consistently, and then secondly, how he does protections wise and decisions wise. But I think what if if you're able to prove over the next six weeks that Mylotta is your left tackle even potentially your left tackle of the future. It just gives you more flexibility with what you do with your resources come this offseason. Right side, listen, but like Jordan Mailata, left side of the line, playing well, whatever. Matt Pryor is the right tackle is going to be apocalyptically bad. Mike. Oh, yeah, it's going to be bad. Mike, I thought he could survive at guard, and he hasn't. At right. tackle, he does not know how to move backwards. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't, has no idea that he has the muscles. Doesn't what do you even do know for that. <laughs> right. He just does he is so aggressive. He's such, now, if they run play action out the wazoo, maybe. Because he's fine coming off the line. But the problem is their play action stuff, A, has been terrible. And B, mm. they they don't really have a ton of good shotgun play action stuff. A lot of the play action stuff they try to do is under center, and it's atrocious. And so I don't like that your your best way to protect him is play action. Ch- chipping won't help him because he's right. sh- he sets so short. That even if you chip a guy, they're just going to be able to get inside of him, or they're going to be able to go through him. He just does not know how to gain depth. He does not know how to, how to like defend reactively. And so, him at right tackle is I've, I I I don't know if I'm more concerned about that or back when Suopeta was put at left guard. Like this this oh. might be the worst single offensive lineman out of position yet this year. And what's really annoying is Jack Driscoll was not half bad at right tackle. He really wasn't. Is he is he as big of a tackle as the Eagles want him to be? Absolutely not. Is he still limited and potentially banged up? Yes. But if he's healthy, you got to play him a right tackle over Pryor. Pryor is not able to move on the outside. But that's the problem. You know, long term, I think Driscoll does come in for him. But right now, he's dealing with a knee and he has not participated and whatnot. And his status for Sunday is, is up in the air. And look, this Seattle defense is known as a bit of a cupcake. Uh, a part of that is due to the pressure that they haven't been getting this year. I think they're bottom five in pressure percentage. Over the past three, I would say, with the exception of the Rams game, I think that's gotten better. Rams, I mean, they got no pressure against Jared Goff, as as everybody can see. But, you know, the three weeks ago against the Buffalo Bills, they pressured Josh Allen 42% of the time. Last game, Kyler Murray, right, one of the most pressured quarterbacks of the week against them at 51%. The Carlos Dunlap signing, obviously paying dividends right away uh, for them as, as he comes up with the game-winning sack or the game-ending sack to end that one. Uh, still, I'm not overly concerned in this area, and let, let's kind of get into our over-unders here. Mm-hmm. The line is that uh, the Seahawks are five-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 49. So Vegas is saying roughly that it's going to be like 27 to 22 Seahawks. Uh, Philadelphia is averaging exactly 22 points per game, 19 over the last three games, while Seattle is leaking 28.7 points per game with that number trending slightly up lately. We might as well just go rapid through a rapid fire through our offense first defense takes here as we uh, as we preview this one. I, I think we know what it is. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks defense having issues with pressure can't really cover. 
But this is the Eagles offense that hasn't been able to get anything going or scheme up anything or execute anything. There's always something going wrong on any given play or some sort of backbreaking penalty, mm-hmm. early down stuff that puts them at disadvantageous third downs. But again, I mean, this is the Seahawks. Everybody kind of plays them uh, weirdly because they're a weird team. What do you think? Over, under on the 22 points for the uh, Eagles offense? I once again feel under, and I once again believe that the Eagles will go over on a meaningless end of game drive in a two possession yes. game. You know what I mean? Like that's yes. that's that's what I'm worried about there. The uh, so the Seahawks defense, right? And, and people have been talking for a while about the Seahawks injuries in the secondary and the weaknesses in the secondary. Uh, they've actually not fully returned to health, but they're looking better. They've got Trey Flowers, who was a starter last year, replacing Shaq Griffin. Mm-hmm. DJ Reed was playing their opposite corner coming into the Arizona game, and that was terrifying for seattle fans but they ended up yes. actually playing pretty well and and a lot of it has to do with you know shaq griffin wasn't necessarily playing the best football of his life coming into that game and quentin dunbar like was fine but they kind of went nuts about how well he was going to do after pff you know like he ran out really well for pff last year and i don't really think that he's necessarily like they like panned out I the agree. way they expected to pan out so he's on yeah. dunbar's on ir shaq griffin's still questionable for this game you're potentially getting trey flowers and dj reed again if that's the case what is interesting for the eagles passing game is that the where you don't want to throw against seattle is over the middle behind those linebackers because they're so good in coverage and they've got you know jamal adams quandra Diggs. they got a good a good duo of safeties there the eagles haven't tried to throw over the middle in five games they don't want to let Wentz do it anymore so many of his interceptions came between the numbers trying to throw layer balls that they just stopped there's exclusively a half field breaking outside sort of an offense so you're gonna be able to get your isolation looks against those wide receivers against the uh, with your against those corners with your wide receivers you're gonna get Rager versus Flowers which is a huge speed matchup you're gonna get Fulgham versus Reed which is a huge size disadvantage yeah on paper sure but why are you going to believe in the, in this passing game? Uh, mm-hmm. with with prior playing, and they've they they have Carlos Dunlap now installed, so he's been he's been their pass. They have Rasheem Green now back from injury. I don't think Daryl Taylor is going to be back for this game. Um, but they, their pass rush has gotten better. They've gotten some relief over the last couple of games. I I think that they're going to be able to generate a ton of pressure, not only on their blitz packages, which the Eagles haven't been able to pick up this year, um, but also just with, with, with a four-man rush, and I don't trust the Eagles' passing game to take advantage of favorable matchups on the outside. So I'll still take under. To me, that's, you know, it's, it's like a 20, 19-point game for Philadelphia. They're going to have dumb turnovers. They're going to get inside the Seattle 40 and then fail on a fourth-down conversion or have penalties and fall out of field goal range. They're going to move the ball once again, and they're not going to get points out of it once again because there's no reason to believe that they can do otherwise at this point. And you mentioned the the linebackers for Seattle. I agree with you when it comes to the, that mm-hmm. intermediate stuff and how the Eagles have shied away from it, and, I'm, and I hope they shy away from it in this game because, what is it, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Jordan Brooks? Yep. Like, those are three really solid coverage guys. And like Jamal Adams, who like technically isn't a linebacker, but also like he hangs around that area of the field and obviously and if, is basically an edge rusher. It doesn't matter. Um <laughs> Right. But if you if you if you target him in that area, it's gonna be a lot better for him than if he ends up, you know, working versus empty trying to cover a post essentially. Right. I don't I, and when you look at how the Eagles like last week, the Eagles just like Firstly, they've fully nuked John Hightower. Hightower has four snaps over the last two weeks. They're done yep. with this, right? With Rager back, they don't care. Alshon went from 18 snaps to five snaps. They had only three receivers take more than six snaps last week. Ward, Fulgham, Rager. That's your three. They are never going to get lighter than 11 personnel, right? So what you're looking at here in terms of 
the, the way you want to go about this is you want to leave tight ends in, leave running backs in, put Ward on one or put Rager on one side, put Fulgham on the other side, and have Wentz throw matchups. Like if you have Fulgham against Reed, twelve yards, turn around, throw the ball, mm-hmm. and like you you, it's wild to say this, but you need your 2019 sixth round pick journeyman to just be better than the other guy's guy. That's that's yeah. where you are offensively right now. And if if they're gonna give you man, take it. And, and and just throw first read and that that it has to be that simple right now and once you can execute that let's have a conversation about other things right like with your zone when you get zone you run space and you run all the stuff you usually run carson's kind of been decent against zone recently whatever that's that is as far as you can get it i'm going to do everything i can to get an outside receiver against one of these corners and if i get rager against flowers and if i get fulham against reed that's where i'm going with the football fundamentally execute that <laughs> <laughs> and you should be able to generate a passing game. I, I you agree. have enough talent here. I agree. But, you know, I, I don't think I think that the pass rush is going to be a problem. I think that the uh, the Seahawks move their guys around enough in the secondary. They do enough split field stuff that Wentz is going to yes. get bamboozled. It's just there's no reason to have faith in even this simple of an idea. I agree. I'm, I'm going to go under on that one. And by the way, uh, Doug Peterson in his presser today confirming that Matt Pryor will be at right tackle and that Zach Ertz is not expected to play as we expected. So when we come back. <coughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Smooth <laughs> transitions out. Yeah. This is good podcasting over here. So when I might just leave that in. <laughs> so when we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, we'll get into the uh, Eagles defense against the uh, Seattle offense and we'll give our final predictions. That's coming up next. Right here on the Kiss and Solak show. Saved it. Perfectly professional. Oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. We're good at this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kiss and Select Show, episode 210. Brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Good Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, all right, let's flip sides of the ball. Let's make our final predictions and let's get the heck out of here. I think for Seattle's offense, the the thing to note is, hey, it's Russell Wilson and he's really good at football. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't Russell Wilson made the Eagles pay more, at least looking at like last year and whatnot? Like, I don't know, man. I can't explain it to you. I can't explain the Seahawks to you. But what I can explain to you is that, man, you look up these matchups that they can create. DK Metcalf on the year, 48 receptions, 862 yards, nine touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, 67 receptions, 748 yards, eight touchdowns. I, I'm starting to believe that he's no longer underrated. I think people are starting to recognize that Lockett is a really doggone good football player. Metcalf, for his part, 
I mean, he has been taken away in a game or two this year, but you got to throw a lot of attention at that dude. And one ball is all he needs to take it to the house. And uh, he's going to have Eagles fans in their feelings yeah, in man. this one. Wait, what do you think of this this matchup? I don't know. So Metcalf has played two games against the Eagles, right? The first game was regular season. That was 17-9, to 9, totally garbage game. Nobody cared. Playoff game, also in the link, also 17-9. to 9. He had nine targets, seven catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown. So Ooh. do we think three catches, 35 yards? Or seven catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown. Which one do we think we're getting? Which Metcalf we think we're getting this week? Now remember what happened in that first game, because I think Russell Wilson missed him on a big one, and then DK dropped another one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I remember the drop. Yeah, where where he burned Mills, and Mills did the celebration right. and the finger wag and all that stuff, and everybody and everybody partied. So I uh, because of that, he had the he had those big play opportunities. They just missed on a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say. That this is over 100 yards for DK Metcalf. Have you have, or have you seen the prop bets on that yet? Is something that something that we can bet on? Because I'm going right. over they've if it's just, like they've just opened, and if memory serves, he opened it. He opened it 74. I, I was going to say a lot this morning, but yeah, that probably makes sense. I was going to say like around 80. I would right. I'm comfortably on 70. I'm smashing the over on that. Right. He, do you want to know the funniest? I was looking at at uh, stats to understand the Seahawks deep passing game wild stat to me russell wilson has attempted a deep pass on 12.7 percent of his passing attempts this year this is for pff right it's only 14 14th in the league tied 14th with gardner Minshew of all people 12.7 percent when's his fifth 14.1 percent behind joe flacco kirk cousins drew lock whole list of bad quarterbacks Wentz has completed 41.5 percent of his deep passes russell Mm -hmm. wilson 43.5 it's not that big of a difference yeah. Now, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson has thrown 11 touchdowns and three interceptions. <laughs> Carson Wentz has thrown four touchdowns and five interceptions. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So your pa- the passer rating is nearly half. Like, Wentz is 64 and R- Russ is like 105 or something like that. Right? It's massive difference in how well they performed. But Wentz is throwing the ball down the field more, and they're still completing. They're completing roughly the same number of passes. It's just... Wentz cannot. Wentz is completing passes to defenses. I don't know. Uh, right now, and this is. I think this is. Is that adjusted completion percentage? Or are yes, you that's about adjusted. Okay. Right with drops. Okay. So you got you know the average John Hightower football game. Yes, and like for for Wentz. I mean, honestly, like he's always been around like forty four percent. This is like only a slight dip. I think it's the rest of the uh, the accuracy in the intermediate right. to short and areas we're struggling. Wentz is. I would argue, and I've I've no basis for filming this. I would argue because the deep passes are twenty plus air yards. I would argue yeah. that Wentz's average deep pass before this season was like thirty air yards, and this year is like fifty eight. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like there's like you know what I mean? Like I agree. They, they're like more like oh like deep posts and like you know like Lebron and like this and working deep digs and da da da. Now this year it's like Jalen Rager's fast, John Hightower's fast. Yeet. Uh, now. The Eagles' defense this year has been one of the best against, uh, in terms of limiting explosive passing plays. The Eagles are actually third in the league right now in yeah. terms of their explosive passing plays given up just behind Baltimore and the Los Angeles Rams, which are two really good defenses overall. The Eagles obviously are not uh, are right around a, an average defense by DVOA, but well, look at their corners and look at ahead of the Eagles' corners and their coordinators and the pass rushes yes. they're dealing with, so on and so forth, right? et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so you're talking about. A defense that's in the passing game has been really, really good at limiting explosive plays. To what degree is this a fragment of how easily they give up underneath patterns, linebackers and, and safeties, and and the way that they align? You know that that that's up for debate. But 
that you're you're going to see an orientation on taking away the deep ball from Philadelphia, and they've been successful at doing this. They have a good man coverage down the field, good safety play from Rodney McLeod, whatever it is. With that said, the push for Seattle recently, and you know, Seattle had the let Russ cook theory going on. You know, they they were really explosive early in the year. They've since moved away from that a little bit because defenses are far more willing to take it away. And Russ, at times, is very risk-prone just chucking the ball down the field, inviting sacks, uh, inviting interceptions by being too aggressive. Over the last two, three weeks, they've done a really good job at making Russ take shorter patterns and take quicker passes and be more willing to be a balanced offense in terms of their their volatility in terms of the passing routes that they look for the, the route distribution they're attacking taking what the defense gives you is the moral of this story and so while seattle is 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 known for being an explosive passing offense they've actually been below average in that measure over the last three weeks they're going to stay below average against the eagles and they're going to continue to be able to nickel and dime so while yes there's the terror of russell wilson and heavy protection and dk metcalf and tyler lock and all those vertical balls and if the eagles sit in single high man coverage, go heavy boxes against Chris Carson, who's back this week, then yeah, you're going to see your occasional deep shot. But I would not be surprised if this is a still pass heavy script from Seattle, but they're willing to take short intermediate stuff. Uh, they've been willi- they've been very willing to target Greg Olson this year, even though Olson's been bad against the Eagles linebackers. I would imagine they continue to target Greg Olson. Uh, or excuse me, Olson's injured now, so it's, it's Will Disley. But they've been willing to target their tight ends. I think they're going to continue to do so. Uh, I, I don't anticipate the Eagles being able to stop this passing game. Will, Wilson's got far too much talent. And mm. whenever we talk about the Eagles defense, we talk about how much can the pass rush affect this game. Seattle's passing uh, pass blocking isn't that good. That quarterback's really good at extending. Uh, so uh, unless you're able to regularly land on Wilson with sacks and not pressures, you're not yeah. going to be able to impact his game as much as you want. He's one of the best under pressure. So it, it's difficult to imagine the Eagles having much success against the pass. And then against the run, as I said, with Chris Carson back, uh, you know, we, we saw this team be successful with Carlos Hyde last week against the Cardinals. They have their talent now running back. They have a good run blocking line. I, I don't think it's going to be a big part of their game script. I don't think they're going to be any more successful than Cleveland was or the Giants were so on and so forth. You just you don't anticipate like when, when it comes to Wilson and this receiving core, stopping the run is, is, is a nice consolation prize. But what's the point? You know, are you shadowing DK Metcalf with Darius Slay just to make sure that you don't get DK Metcalf against Devontae Maddox? I mean, sure. I, I'm here to tell you, Maddox can't cover Lockett either. It might look right, prettier, might look nicer pre-snap, but it still ain't going to look good by the end of the snap, brother. So yeah, I, I think they do. And if they don't do it in the first half, I'd imagine they're forced into doing it by the second half. Right. right, right. Uh, with that said, I don't they, think it matters. Right. Exactly. The the way like, you know, David Moore is good, right? Yeah, like this right. is like they, 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 there's. I just don't see how you. I, I understand how you mirror with Slay and follow Metcalf, but then you're going to sit down at halftime and ask yourself, should we take him off Metcalf and put him on Lockett? Because this is the the fate you've wrought for yourself by, by the talent in your cornerback room. If there is a path for the Eagles, it is Slay on Metcalf, eliminating Metcalf. They would need Slay to really play to his billing, and they would need Wilson to be unwilling to get off that matchup, which is possible, because Wilson's been obstinate before. But I, 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 they've been smarter with their target distribution. They, you know, like, like, uh, there, Wilson got, there was a lot of run for how Wilson didn't target Metcalf in that loss to the Rams. But the reality was, Rams put Ramsey on him. Metcalf was open, but there's mm-hmm. no reason to be challenging that when instead you can be challenging other matchups, which Wilson did with some success. He just made a couple of really boneheaded plays in really high leverage situations, which is uncharacteristic for Wilson. But like I said, at times he gets stubborn, and, and hopefully that's the Wilson that you get on Monday night. Yeah, Darius Williams is also uh, has some fantastic ball skills. Yeah, man. Big Darius Williams fan. 
yeah, big time. Man, he's got a ton of interceptions to start his career. Anyway, all right. So let's get into the prediction here, and I have I have one more question for you about this game based on what the Buffalo Bills did to the to the uh, Seattle Seahawks and some cries that we might hear from the fan base during the game. But again, five and a half points favorites for the Seahawks. We both said under for uh, 22 points for the Eagles offense. Are you over or under the 27 points for the Seahawks on offense? I'm over. Uh, I'm over. No faith, no reason for faith, right? Yep. Like, you know, and like the, the defense has shown when they play really good teams if the offense is scoring points, the defense won't stop anybody. So even if you're getting a good game from the offense, I don't think you're going to get yeah. a good game from the defense. Uh, the hope is come out and split field, come out with Slay on, on on Metcalf, encourage the run, take it away with seven. It's very unlikely the Eagles do this, but that would be the hope. Uh, that'd be how you, you want to beat Seattle. That's kind of what the Rams put out there that I think will be successful against them in the playoffs by smarter teams who are willing to change their matchups relative to their opponent. Not us. Yeah, so I'm with you. I'm thinking it's like 31 to like 14 or yeah. 17. Something I'm like, like 34, that. 19, but it'll actually end up being 34, 27 because the Eagles will score an eight point touchdown at the end of the game and it won't right. matter. So on and so forth. Right. Seattle scored over 30 points seven times this season. I have no reason to believe they won't do it again. There's a good chance that like the Eagles actually do hold them to 20 and it's a great performance by the defense and the offense wastes it. Or the Eagles offense comes out, runs the football down Seattle's throat, scores 27 points, Miles Sanders 150 yards and the defense wastes it. Like we're projecting like a pretty significant blowout. I'm sure one unit will overperform our expectations, but both won't. Now, now here's the question I have for you. That's a that's a perfect segue because the Seattle rush defense in terms of efficiency is much better, much more stout than the Seattle pass defense. Buffalo saw this and came out with a game script that wildly leaned to the passing game. I think at one point they had 28 dropbacks versus like five runs. They didn't have a, I mean, between the running backs, they had 11 carries for the running backs, right? Isaiah McKenzie had a carry thrown in there. Josh Allen had seven carries. Some of that was scrambles. Josh Allen threw the ball 38 times in that game, often and early. They didn't want to test the run game because Buffalo is struggling in the run game a little bit. They wanted to throw the ball around, and they were able to against Seattle, and they were able to build a lead doing that. If Philadelphia comes out to this game and has that game plan, you know we're going to hear the cry, oh, Doug abandoned the run game again, but is that a sound strategy in this game, knowing that you're probably going to have to be in a boat race? My issue with, with like, so yes, but mm-hmm. Buffalo was also able to go four wide. Philly Correct. can't do it. True. They won't. They like, like So that, like... One of the things that, like, when I brought up the fact that the Eagles basically played exclusively through receivers and they won't go lighter than 11 personnel was, you might look at this Seattle secondary and say, okay, Ryan Neal is injured, Delano Hill is injured, you, you, Shaq Griffin's out, Quentin Dunbar is out. Let's spread them and shred them. Philly can't! Ah. They don't got the horses! And, 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 I mean, how many times have we talked about empty sets and how good they've been for, like, They've been yeah. good for Philadelphia because Philadelphia's just been average in empty sets this year. You know what's but, crazy is everybody is asking for play-action boot rollouts when the Eagles stink at them. Nobody is asking right. for empty when the Eagles right. are and, fantastic and, and, at it. And, and, and why do the Eagles stink at play-action boot rollouts? This is totally not our podcast, and we are so long right now. It doesn't matter. Why are they bad at play-action boot rollouts? It's not because play-action boot rollouts in and of themselves are bad. Moving mm-hmm. Wentz off the spot works. Wentz is a yes. better passer when he's on the move. It helps protection, absolutely. They don't work because Wentz is not good right now. Like they, yep. when you go and you watch the cutups, it's because Wentz is making bad decisions and bad throws. Also, sometimes the designs suck, but sometimes they're good. So it mostly to me that's on Wentz is making bad decisions on the hoof. When you talk about empty, 
empty more than any other formation, more than play action, more than no huddle, more than any fabrication that besides Sean McVay in your ear for 20 seconds. <laughs> gives the quarterback a pre-snap advantage because it is so hard as a defense to look like you're doing A against empty and actually be doing B. It's so, You can't rotate a safety. It, there's too much space to cover. You can't be moving guys around post-snap. Like, obviously, you take away the third of the play action, so you, the, the linebackers are pretty immediately in their drop, and that's going to take away some of your short underneath stuff. But if you're just throwing against leverage to the outside, which is all the Eagles do in the passing game anyway, empty can be so beneficial for you. I, 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 I've stopped even thinking the Eagles might do it because they, they, they clearly don't have the personnel. They want to be a play action team. They want to have multiple tight ends out on the field. And on, on top of everything, they don't, there's, there's been no development this year on anything that's been good for them. Like stuff that has worked for them, right? Like Fulgham played well, and now they're not using Fulgham as much. My lotta played well, and they benched my lotta. If something's working for the Eagles, they're not going to continue doing it because there's absolutely no direction right now in the coaching staff and in the front office. So, like, yeah, if, if I'm calling shots here, empty, we're going to run QB draw 15 times, okay? Yep. And we're going to do it with Jalen Hurts 10 times. We're going to take Wentz off the field, put Hurts on the field, put him in empty, and then run QB draw RPOs. Stick draw RPO all the way down the goddamn field, Mike. But yep. If you got numbers, run it. If not, throw right. this freaking stick. Yep. Right, but, I mean, when your second best receiver is Richard Rodgers, guess what? You can't play an <laughs> empty. He needs to have his hand in the dirt. <laughs> great point to end it there (laughs) Ben. so i mean that's gonna do it for this this preview of the seahawks and uh eagles we had some uh we had some fun chats about some other topics as well that's all just very sunny here in philadelphia ben any last words for the gentle listeners before we get on out of here yeah no so thank you as always listening (laughs) to the kist and soul show here on bgn radio uh we got it out on saturday because we have the monday show but also there's just some there's some frustration with internal matters right now. We're not sure, you know, some of us, uh, some some people inside outside the organization uh, think that Mike would, wouldn't be totally unhappy if he ends up getting fired. So we're just dealing with some stuff. That's no problem. <laughs> but no, uh, we think he's always supposed to get so on Radio. This was the Eagles Seahawks preview slash a discussion about how bad things are. The Eagles play in primetime again because somebody hates us. Uh, so Monday night football against the Seattle Seahawks with a whole pre-game and post-game show breaking down the ineptitude that is philadelphia it should be fun if you enjoyed the show and enjoy all the shows here on the feed make sure you rate review and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast he's been michael kist on twitter at michael kist nfl's kist i've been benjamin Solak on twitter at benjamin Solak. that's s-o-l-a-k we will talk to you probably on monday night we're gonna have to stay up and do a post-game show <laughs> freaking heck me to heck all right oh. monday night if you're awake tuesday morning if you're not that's when you hear us next I just, you know, can you see, can you, can can you see why, can you see why I'm sick of it? (laughs) We all, we all, we got, we all, we need fly Eagles fly. It just gives you more flexibility with what you do with your resources come this off season. You caught me not listening again. (laughs) I usually do. Uh, right side, listen, but like, PGN.